This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at javascriptjabber.com slash kendoui. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Views on View. Uh, my name is Chris Fritz, and today in our panel, we also have Divya Sasidharan. Hi. Did I say it right? Did I say yeah, your last you name right? It, you did fine. You just... It, it, I know. Fine. I fine. stuttered a little bit. <laughs> okay. And then we're also interviewing Nick Basile from Aptitude. Hello. And we're, we're talking about test-driven development. Mm-hmm. Great. So you're using test-driven development with Vue.js. And, and what does is, what is your setup look like? Yeah, so that's a great question. So I've probably got a couple of different setups for depending on the, the project I'm working on at a given time. Uh, the most recent project I did uh, was Vue.js on the front end and Laravel on the back end with a uh, Postgres database. Um, and that was just a simple kind of marketing site that we're putting out there. Uh, and we were using uh, PHP unit on the back end for testing. And then we were also using uh, Vue test utils and Jest on the front end to do all our front end testing. So that's a yeah, fairly standard setup. Nothing too crazy out there, but it does the does the job for us. Great. That's actually my preferred setup too. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a big fan of Jest. Yeah, can't go wrong with it. And have you used other tools other than Jest? Yeah, so I was uh, on Mocha for a long time. Uh, even before, I think uh, before Vue Test Utils came out and before Jest was really a popular thing, uh, I'd used a little bit of Mocha. Uh, and was kind of, I, I liked it, but it, it, I, fe- I always felt like I was kind of struggling with it. I never really uh, could grok everything or, or understand exactly what I wanted to do, do, and it wasn't very expressive or clear. And now with a few test utils, I, I can really like kind of hone in on the wrapper, really understand what's happening with the component, and then Jess and their assertions just make it so easy, uh, at least for me. So, so what attracted you to Jess? Um, well, like everything, I'm, I'm kind of following the news on Twitter and people were kept yelling, yes, yes, yes. And so I was like, well, what is this new, <laughs> new shiny object coming along? So you just got worn down. Yeah. So eventually I, I kind of cleared some time on a weekend or an afternoon and kind of sat down with it and said, okay, let's give it a, give it a whirl. And then I had this, um, I actually got into Jess fairly recently. So I, um, uh, had this new project coming up, uh, for work and I was like, Hey, we're going to do some testing in here anyway. So let's give Jess a whirl and, and see how it goes. And, uh, if it's something we can kind of uh, add to the workflow. Okay. And before we go too much deeper, um, what, how would you define, how would you define test-driven development and how would you define like unit tests, like with, with mm-hmm. Jest? Yeah, that's a great question. So the way I kind of do it is test-driven development is uh, kind of, as it said, you're starting with the test first. And I really think that's such a great approach because you're, you're kind of, instead of just diving right into a component, writing a bunch of code and uh, stringing things together, and before you know it, you're, you're 10 steps in and you've got all these kind of interlocking uh, dependencies and you're, you're kind of like, oh my gosh, how am I going to even test this? You're, you're starting with the test first and saying like, okay, what's, what's like the first thing I want this component to do? And then you write that test and, and then you add that functionality to the component and you're kind of, operating in a much more linear process. Um, and so I find that kind of helps me understand what exactly I want to be doing, what responsibility should a given component have, and uh, what functionality am I expecting from it? Um, and so TDD is that sort of linear process of writing your tests first, 
and then writing code that makes that test uh, a reality. That's TDD for me. And then uh, a unit test is, so there's, there's all these terms. Uh, and when I, when I got started, I was kind of like, forget the terms. I'm just going to try and test something and go from there. And I think that's a great approach uh, for anyone who's new and starting out. We can talk terms all day, but you don't have to get bogged down in them. Just try and write a test that, uh, for me, especially with a unit test, what I'm looking for is um, what, what am I expecting and what would I, in two months, really hate to be fixing if it broke? And if that's the case, I'm like, okay, I'll write a unit test for this or I'll, I'll write a, a larger test for it. Uh, so a unit test, though, is probably a, a test for one single method or, or like portion of encapsulated functionality. Mm -hmm. um, so a really good example of that would be uh, like if I had a single method, um, like an, a click event, and I needed something toggle in the state, uh, and I really needed to make sure that would work. Um, so like a good example would be like a calendar component. If I had a method for selecting the current uh, day, I would probably write a unit test for that to make sure that that functionality and that really critical piece of the application is getting executed the way I would expect it to. That kind of answers <laughs> both those Got questions. It. So testing, for example, that when, when someone uh, clicks on like a specific day that uh, something in the internal state changes correctly, or that kind mm -hmm. of thing. Right, right, right. So, and the funny thing is like, I don't think it's a great testing strategy to be writing a ton of unit tests. I find they're, they're pretty brittle and they tend to be really tied to the, the mm -hmm. code in, that you're writing and that can change very uh, quickly, but it's better to write the sort of larger tests that are kind of more concerned about what's the state of the application or the component uh, what if you give it a certain set of inputs, what kind of outputs are you expecting? That kind of input-output uh, testing strategy is I found to be a little bit more expressive of what the component is doing. It serves as better documentation because you can kind of go back and be like, okay, this is kind of what I'm expecting for these different parameters. And then it's uh, they break way less often because they're not as tied in or hardwired to like, oh, if I change the name of this method, now I've got to re go update all my tests. It's like, no, I gave all these this proper information or this initial data, and then I got this expected result out of it. Yeah. So what would be some other examples of things that probably aren't useful to test in a unit test? Mm -hmm. That's a really great question. Um, I'm trying to think here. So um, on this last project I did, I was kind of building this, uh, this form that you kind of select yes on, and then it would generate this form based mm -hmm. on a set of properties coming in from the uh, controller. So we kind of have in our CMS uh, forms set up, and then we're using Vue.js to build them dynamically on the front end. Uh, and so I could get really nitty gritty in there and say like, okay, if we have a text field coming in, I expect the text field to be rendered. But that's kind of like very, and I could test that individual functionality and write a test to say like, okay, that says text, this is text field. Uh, so you could write something really specific and contained like that, or you could write a larger test is like, okay, given this set of parameters, I expect these five elements to be rendered on the page. And that is a little more descriptive of what the uh, component should be working on. Okay. You mentioned, that, sorry, can I jump in? No, no. Okay, you mentioned earlier about how when you write unit tests that are too granular, it becomes a little brittle because mm -hmm. your application is changing constantly, especially in prototype stages. Mm -hmm. How do you... Um, how do you, when you're creating tests or doing TDD or writing unit tests, make that judgment call in terms of figuring out how specific, like whether a test is being too specific or mm -hmm. too, too general? Right, right, right. Um, so I get that wrong all the time. I think okay. people kind of have this assumption that there's this, this silver bullet out there that 
every all these like crazy good developers know when to write the right tests in the right context in the right time. Uh, and that's I've, I've never found that to be the case, and I've worked with some terrific people. Um, and so it's a lot of trial and error. It's a lot of, especially in the prototype phase, where you're getting a lot of requirements from your stakeholders, and you're showing them things, and you're iterating on what should be happening. Uh, I find it best to have the test so that way you know it works, and you're following that TDD, and you're you're writing typically. I, I find I write better actual output of code and components mm-hmm. when doing that TDD flow. Um, so that's kind of a way for me to kind of enforce discipline upon myself. Um, and that in itself is useful. But to get back to your original question of when, what, how specific I want to get, I, I really try to stay away from uh, really specific tests that are really granular and tied in. And is that method uh, working the way it should? Like if I'm not going to have a, a test for something where I'm passing A plus B is going to equal C, I'm not going to get really granular and test that. But I will be testing, okay, if I have this uh, configuration, what is my expected output? Or um, if I if I have something with working with a lot of events and they're getting fired all over the place, I might have a larger test for, okay, if we trigger these two or three events in this user flow, is the end state what I'd be expecting? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, like, I like to ask myself questions when I'm figuring out what to test. And one of the questions that I ask is, is this likely to change, you know, a week from now or a month from now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if it is something that's very likely to change, then I maybe won't test it. And another mm-hmm. question that I like to ask myself often is, uh, how likely is this to break? Mm-hmm. So if it's something that, that really isn't likely to break, then I, I won't test that thing. Mm-hmm. And then right. I, I guess one other rule that I... I I tell people sometimes is that uh, I generally wouldn't recommend testing that view works. <laughs> yeah. yes. So for example, testing that like the initial value of a data property, it has yeah. the correct value. View um, takes care of that. I've never been in an app where that doesn't work correctly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so yeah. at that point, you're just like writing that initial value twice. And there's usually not a lot of value in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are there oh, other sure. questions that either of you ask yourself sometimes? Yeah, I think my big one is like, if this thing breaks in two weeks, how mad am I going to be that I didn't have a test for this? Because mm. uh, some, some things get really complicated very quickly. And mm-hmm. uh, so if it's a big complicated component like that, where there's a lot of um, state actions happening, there's some transition work, whatever's going on there. Uh, I try to like think of myself in two weeks when everything blows up and I'm trying to pull my hair out because I've moved on from the project and, and figure out how I'm going to fix this thing. Uh, so what, what tests could I write so that my future self can easily understand what exactly broke uh, and maybe have a clue. This is like extra bonus points, but maybe have a clue about how to fix it. Mm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I use uh, usually the way that I structure tests is as a, as like self as documenting my own code to some extent, because there've been projects where I've worked on, I've, when I worked in an agency, at least, I jumped on projects a lot. And so I had to go in and out of things. And so if I didn't write a test for code that I'd written, I don't know, a couple of months ago, if I come back to it, I would have no idea what it does. And so in a sense, similar to what you were saying, Nick, just thinking about your future self and being like, okay, my future self will not know the assumptions that I made to get to this decision. Um, and so like, how can I write a test? Or like, can I write a couple of tests so that my future self 
can understand my thought process or at least understand what exactly this code is doing without having the cognitive load of having to like read the code line by line and try to parse what it's doing. Mm -hmm. I think you're, you're spot on there when you say like, what, what are your assumptions at that moment? Cause that, that's stuff that gets lost so oh, quickly. Yeah. Like you, you turn away for 10 minutes, you've already lost all your assumptions. So anytime you're getting that into the code in your tests or a little bit of extra documentation, that's, that's such a big one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then rewinding a little bit, uh, we talked about Jest and we talked about view test utils and I'd like to dig in a little bit more there. First, if someone just wants to get started with Jest, what resources would you recommend? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, so I, when I first was getting into view testing, I know Jeffrey Way over at Laracast had a view testing course. I think it's like viewtesting.com or he's probably got mm -hmm. some well-named URL for it. Um, and that's all free. And so that was kind of my first like big picture because I'm getting really into testing on the back end and I was kind of like, all right, how do I bring this to the, to the front end and ensure my view components are working uh, as I'd expect them? And so he had this really great course. So that was kind of my, my step one. And I believe he, he used Mocha in that. That was kind of my introduction to the, the whole world of front-end testing. Uh, and then... Would you, would you still recommend that even if you might want to use Chest? I think so because the concepts are very similar. Um, big picture. And I think that's, the, that's always been the hardest part for me with testing. It's not necessarily like what assertion library works really well. It's mm -hmm. like, what, what do people mean when they say unit tests or integration tests or end-to-end -end testing? Like, what are these big picture things? So for me and in, in, in my path, it was a lot of time learning the, the larger concepts. I think that I found that kind of be true with, with some other folks. And like, how many times uh, can you listen to somebody else explain it? and get a different perspective on it. And then you can finally match all those different perspectives together into your own perspective. Um, so I, I would still recommend that. Um, and then uh, as, as a big picture kind of overview to getting started with testing, but specifically for Jest, I think the Jest documentation is fantastic. Uh, I've really kind of was uh, going back and forth, like, oh, do I watch a course on it? Or uh, do I just kind of dive in and start using it and start trying to mm -hmm. learn it myself? Because I'm self-taught, so that's kind of my, my go-to style. Uh, but I actually said, okay, you know what, let's just read the docs, let's kind of see what they do. And I think they have really great documentation that walks you through the entire setup. It's not necessarily very view specific. So it was a lot of me going back and forth from just to the view test utils documentation, which is also fantastic. Mm -hmm. And kind of being like, okay, I can set up my environment over here in test utils and then bring just over and start using that and interacting with it. So that was my, my process and my flow for it. Okay. And then what exactly is view test utils? Ah, that is a great question. Um, so that is a library. I think Ed, you're, I'm going to butcher his last name. Yerber? It's, I don't, sorry, Ed. Uh, I think it's Yerber? Yerber? Yeah. 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 Um, so he's, a, I guess, a core view member as well, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, he is. Uh, so he's, he'll, he's, he'll yell at me later if I said it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Good. You should, you should yell at me too, because I, I did the worst job here. But um so I was, uh, uh, what, uh, let's see here. So yeah, so uh, Ed uh, put together, I think a couple, in the early days, he was kind of working on this testing library for Vue. And it sounded like he got together uh, with a bunch of other people in the community, sort of took their input, their feedback, and worked with the Vue core team to put together a few test utils, uh, which is basically a, uh, a library that helps you interact with your components in a testing environment. So that was a big issue for me. So I, I guess two years ago now, and all mixed up. But two years ago, 
uh, I was using Vue 1 and I was uh, writing this big SaaS application and I was trying to get involved uh, with front-end testing and I was trying to throw up like this huge uh, Mocha build and just trying to get in there. And it was really difficult at that time uh, mm -hmm. to be like, what is a, a Vue instance? How do I inject that into my test? How do I manipulate it, interact with it? You had to have like a, all these virtual uh, servers basically popping up so you could actually interact with an element. And so a lot of that setup and that uh, overhead to getting started with testing has been abstracted away into this view test utils library. So you can really cleanly uh, and quickly start interacting with your uh, view components in a testing environment. Okay, that's so, big, big so if you have a component, it allows you to uh, just sort of like get the HTML of that component and interact mm -hmm. with that component. Right, exactly. You can, I, yeah, you can you can pass it all sorts of things. So you can pass its props. You can check on a computer property. You can run a method to see that it's working. Uh, you can instantiate it, and they have different setups. So you can either mount. I think there's a term mount the entire uh, component and all of its uh, dependencies, like its its children components, um, and and really start playing with that interaction. Or you can do what's called a shallow, uh, still called a mount, but you can uh, do a shallow mount where you're kind of stubbing out all those dependencies. So you can really just focus on interacting with the parent component and testing that higher level functionality before writing tests that are much more tailored for those smaller components. And so just having that flexibility, uh, so that way you don't have all these slow tests for things that could be really quick. You have really fast contained, uh, precise tests that are very well encapsulated so you can uh, make the assertions you need to be making. Great. And is that something that you can only use with Jest? Um, no, you can, so I think right now there's two recommended sort of walkthroughs or, or setups and correct me if I'm wrong. I haven't looked at the, the docs in a, a minute, but, uh, there's Jess and then they have a, a way to set up with Mocha as well. You can kind of get running, uh, with kind of your preferred setup. And, and yeah. if you don't want to use that or Jess or Mocha and you have something else that you'd like to use instead, that's, I think, pretty easy to get up and running with your, uh, library of choice. Yeah. It's, it's just as possible. Mm-hmm. Have you, um, going off of like the unit test stuff and going a little bigger picture, have you mm -hmm. worked um, with like headless browsers or using Karma to do like complex, like a little bit more complex interactions rather mm -hmm. than just clicking on specific things? Right. So I uh, haven't done that. I have used Laravel Dusk um, to kind of do sort of that larger integration level testing and really go through a lot of pages. I've had uh, things I've liked about it and things I haven't liked about it that have probably prevented me from being like, okay, I really want to get into this world um, because I've, I've found them to be a little trickier to set up and a little more brittle, like if the, yes. the browser has stopped working or uh, there's a, some config that I'm missing. Uh, so I've, I've been a little hesitant to go all in on it, but um, I've definitely, yeah, used something like Dusk to do run those larger tests. So, yeah, so the sort of integration or end-to-end -end tests? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. Right. And I, I think I would like to talk a little bit more about that later. But first, I was kind of curious about situations where you might recommend not writing tests first, you know, not doing test-driven development. Are there any mm -hmm. cases like that? Uh, yeah. If you're doing a hackathon and you've got to crank out some code, <laughs> don't write tests. Come back to that. If, or if you're at work at a startup. Yeah. <laughs> uh, features. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we want to make our official recommendation. If you work <laughs> at a startup, you don't need to write tests. No tests. That's, I, that's I, funny. I, uh, I, 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 I work with a lot of startups that write tests, and, and they, can still, they can still get going. But uh, <laughs> uh, Hackathon is a little bit more time-constrained. Uh -huh. 
if you don't write tests, uh, mm-hmm. it will speed you up at first, but it's, oh, it's always going to slow you down eventually. Oh, for sure. So as long as your startup is going to last for more than a weekend, <laughs> <laughs> then I'd recommend writing tests. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, so like on a, on a more probably real day-by-day sort of basis, uh, cases, like you said before, if you're testing Vue or you're testing whatever framework or, or language that you're working with, that's probably not the, the best use of your time uh, for testing. Otherwise, though, it, kind of the, the sky is the limit. And I think people kind of develop their personal testing approaches um, as, in the context of their project, in the context of what their stakeholders expect of them and their, their teams as well. So that's, uh, I'm going I'm to leave that with some nuance. It's for really what, what, what uh, floats your boat, and what suits your development style. I, I guess one situation where I prefer not to do TDD mm-hmm. is when I'm prototyping. So I'm mm-hmm. building a feature and I'm not exactly sure what it's going to look like at the end. I'm just mm-hmm. sort of playing around and, and trying things out. And in that case, since the, the requirements are constantly changing and they're not well-defined, it's hard to write a test for that. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. I think that's a really good point. Like if you throw open a code pen and you're just trying to come up with a new idea or something even bigger than that, I, I totally agree. That's probably a good place to take a break on the test, figure out what you actually need to be getting done and then come back to the testing. Yeah. I've been on either spectrum of like being a zealot about TDD uh, and then not doing tests at all. <laughs> and mostly uh, both both of them have been like failed strategies. <laughs> you need to be like kind of in the middle mm-hmm. because I mean, there are always use cases where you don't have to write a test. Like when you're working really fast, when you're not sure the requirements will change on you because tests like mm-hmm. really slow you down. There've been projects where I've been super zealous that's not a word i've been zealous zealous i've been very determined nick Nick, you're the only one who grew up in america what is it (laughs) i think it's zealous i think we'll we'll award the points for overzealous no it's overzealous Overzealous. there we go yeah Yeah, yeah, overzealous yes i've been overzealous about writing tests and that has like that slowed me down considerably because like when you're especially when you're trying to move fast um you're you're your app is changing. And so like you would have to basically be like, oh, because there've been times where I would create all these tests, hook them up to Circle CI so that the build will always, like you'll always allow me to deploy once the tests pass. And there've been times where I'm like trying to prototype fast, but all my tests fail. Like, and by that point I would have written like maybe 50 tests. Mm. <laughs> and then I would just get streams of emails from circle being like you failed um and then if you use coveralls uh it gives you a gpa score or like something of the equivalent so you'll get like a d or an f which is really demoralizing because i think um back to like talking about like testing as a concept there's a lot of the idea and especially if you work at some companies um people have this idea that like testing is the gold standard or like it's a way of, of making sure your app is like, I don't know, you have your bases covered pretty much. And mm-hmm. so they see like how many, like the, the ability, if you have a lot of tests, it's like, oh, that means your code is like extremely robust, but that's not necessarily always the case. So there's like, there's like a lot of misconceptions about it, but ultimately like, like Nick, you were mentioning, you have to make the call in terms of like whether, <laughs> whether tests are the best thing to do or whether you can like hold off a little bit and then write regression tests once your product has reached a stage where it probably won't change. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I really like what Nick said earlier, where he mentioned asking himself, how angry would I be if this broke in two weeks? Like, how upset with myself? And yeah. I, I think a lot of times it's okay to decide what to test uh, based off of an emotional argument. Because like at the end of the day, like I think the most important thing is that you still want to like come in and do your job the next day. <laughs> and if your app is in a place where you're too afraid to touch things because you worry that by like changing the functionality, you might break it. Like that's, that's not a fun work environment. That's not a fun app. For sure. Yeah. I think that's I, testing. I, I find like, as I talk to more people about it and kind of, uh, see like what, how do you guys test or, or what your style is or, uh, what, what rules are you? So let's see. Um, so what, what your, what your flow is and, and people it's, it's all over the place. It's really, it comes down to exactly uh, what you're saying. Like what, what makes them happy? What makes them want to keep working? Uh, and, and really when it comes down to it, like people, uh, do believe like tests are these gold standard items and your, your code base will, uh, be infinitely better for having tests. Uh, and at the end of the day, it's a, it's a tool like anything else than anything else that we're using. And if it's not something that your team wants to be using or uh, is, is aggressively fighting, maybe it's, it's not the best tool in that situation. And there are better ways to, to get similar results. Yeah, I think one of my absolute favorite things to test is regular expressions. Oh my God. <laughs> because yeah. the first, the, the tests are, are so easy to write. You yeah. know, you just check that it does yeah. actually match this thing or, or not match this text. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also there's so much complexity in even a small regular expression. Yeah. So it's really easy to, to mess that up, to, to make it wrong and to not be covering cases that you thought you were covering and not even realize it. Oh, for sure. So I, I think that's where I often get some of the, the best bang for my buck in terms of testing. Like if there's a regular expression, always, always test it. <laughs> because it not only will break in the future, probably at some yeah. point, but it's probably already broken. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't know yet until you actually write those tests and you know come up with all the different use cases. Because if you just do it while you're developing, you'll end up going around in circles, like breaking some use cases while trying to cover new ones. Yep. Mm -hmm. So I want to throw a curveball, uh, and I've so I've heard people like talk about testing as a form of documentation, and I was curious what you guys think in terms of like is testing. Okay, this is an extreme opinion, but like testing is not. Can testing be a complete replacement for documentation, or like what is the trade-off or like the the role of each in an application? Sure, um, that's a great question. So on. Before the job I had previously, I was working at a, a startup and we use our uh, tests as our documentation, essentially. Um, so we, we tried, we, we went all in we, and we decided to go for testing as documentation. And I think it got us like 80% of the way there, but it wasn't, it couldn't be, could never be the full picture. Uh, and I think the reason is like, like any kind of coding language, it's, it's still code at the end of the day. It's still, uh, you have to A, understand the language and, and B, be able to kind of understand the what's going on there, but you lose that that bigger picture. I think every single time. So for me, when I'm kind of going through, is I think if you're like documenting what that component needs and what sort of assumptions you have for that specific component, that's great. 
But then you still need that sort of written explanation for what is the context of the app? What is the context for this page or this user flow or this uh, whatever test user testing, <laughs> another form of testing we did on this uh, application? And you need that to be somewhere else. And that sort of higher level business case sort of documentation that then needs to live and breathe in, in a more accessible format. But for actual code documentation, I think it can be really useful. Uh, we had all of our endpoints tested and we, we did a really good job of uh, staying on top of that. And it was really easy, like, okay, this is breaking white or it's not working the way I thought it was uh, supposed to. Let me go run the test suite and let me go look at that written test and be like, oh, it's not expecting this format or it, it needs to be uh, given in that format. Uh, and or my JSON's a little off because of X, Y, and Z. Like that could all be really encapsulated right there. And I think that's when testing its documentation is really useful. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Yeah, I am a little bit biased. <laughs> I was, I was, I, I only asked that question because I was like, I really want to know. Because you wanted to troll me? Is that why? Because you wanted to troll me? (laughs) (laughs) So obviously, obviously, I think documentation is useless. If you want to learn how to use Vue, for example, just read the tests for Vue. Uh, (laughs) There's absolutely no reason to check out Vue.js.org. The guide, the style guide. No reason um, to. Our API um, docs, absolutely useless. Just read the tests and you, you'll, you'll be fine. <laughs> no reason to uh, donate to Chris's Patreon account. <laughs> <laughs> all, all donors, please pull out immediately. <laughs> yeah, so I... But, but library code is, is also a little bit different from, <clears throat> from the code uh, of an application. And, and I think those, those really are different use cases. Although I, I do oftentimes find myself reading the, the tests mm-hmm. of a library in order to become better familiar with it, to understand like how something actually works or how it's expected to work. Could that be a product of documentation that is not comprehensive, more so than the tests actually being useful or more useful than the documentation? Well, I think there are different kinds of documentation. And one of the kinds, like in just an API doc, you know, like a reference that you go to look stuff up, Mm -hmm. tests can do a lot to replace that, Mm -hmm. uh, but not everything. Um, But for like a guide, if you just want like a logical introduction to like how something works Mm -hmm. or for something more higher level, like you want to see, okay, we have this like part of our application 
that is uh, you know just around search, and we want to we want to document how like all the different like pieces of our app come together to contribute to like some search feature in our documentation or, or in our application. Like that's harder to do in tests. That's it's true. harder to get that higher level overview. That's true. That's fair. But, Although I have looked at uh, the view tests in order to understand uh, attributes that like a render function takes. Mm -hmm. Not a not a diss at your documentation, Chris. Uh, it's just I'm like digging a hole. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's like a good a good reference point because I think it's it 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 goes hand in hand. Because um, there've been times where I look at the docs and I'm like, okay, this makes sense, but I want to see like the use case or like how has someone used the specific method or how is what what does the internals of the the library or the API look like. And like, <clears throat> how can I use that or abuse that if I if I get access to it? Yeah. Um, and I think tests have been super useful for that because I get a high level overview from the documentation, and then once I understand the concept, I'm like, okay, now I want to figure out like the internals. Mm -hmm. So it's like a go deeper. Yeah. Nick, were there other things that we haven't talked about that? you found that the tests as documentation weren't adequate for? That's, uh, let's see here. Um, the answer can be no. Yeah, I kind of think. <laughs> you don't uh, have to think of something. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing that's, that's really jumping to mind right here. Um, but I think uh, just kind of riffing off what you said, you're 100% you're correct. Like for that high level, that bigger, broader picture and that larger scope, you, you need something written. Like we're still humans at the end of the day and we, we communicate through, through written words. So I think having that context, and that's also really nice to be able to show non-technical uh, people who need to interact with the app, either on the business side or um, uh, in whatever other capacity, to be able to go to them and say like, listen, we've, we've got this figured out in a language that you can understand. Oh, it's this high level overview. Mm -hmm. And then you can show them the test suite and the green at the end and say, we've written it for ourselves to say like, okay, this will work the way we were expecting it as we've kind of outlined here as well. So I think that that sometimes gets lost in the text and, uh, picture. Like it's, this is stuff that makes it easier for us to understand and then present to all the other people around the project and say, listen, we've, we've kind of got this uh, thing figured out the way we'd anticipate or expect it to work. Uh, and then uh, we're we're kind of good to go. Excuse me, good to go from there. Great. Mm -hmm. So I think those are all the questions that I have about uh, Jest, view test utils, unit testing in general. Uh, Divya, do you have any other questions about about those topics? Not not about those. Are you, you're moving forward with another topic. I was thinking about moving forward onto end end and and. Bleh. End-to-end -end testing. How do you feel about yes. that? Yes. No, that's perfect. Yeah, I had questions about that. So yes, that's perfect. So you said you, you were doing a little bit of end-to-end -end testing with um, something called Dusk. Was it Dusk? Yeah. So Laravel, Laravel Dusk. Oh, Laravel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. 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 Yeah. So that uh, I've really enjoyed uh, working with. Uh, I think the API is really expressive, and that's something that. I've had trouble with in other sort of end-to-end -end testing setups that I've kind of seen and come across and they've always put me off. I've always been very hesitant to, to dive into that world because it just seems like with a, with a unit test or a very encapsulated test kind of suite, you're much more narrow focused and you can kind of say, okay, 
if I use my view test utils to mount something and then use Jets to assert that that's working, that's very similar conceptually to like just writing the component to begin with. But when you get into this end-to-end -end world, you need to use like a headless browser or uh, some way to open up the browser and pretend that you're an actual living person and then interact with um, the element. Like that whole setup is just so overwhelming sometimes. Uh, and with Laravel Dust, using Laravel on the back end, it's like, boom, you install the package and then you're ready to start writing your tests. Uh, and so the, the cost of getting started was so much lower than anything else I had uh, experienced. Uh, and so that, for me, is why I kind of lean towards Dusk uh, and use it to do that sort of end-to-end -end testing in, in my projects. Yeah, and I don't think we've defined yet. What exactly are end-to-end -end tests? Sure, that's a good, good question. Like, so, how is that different from unit tests? For for me, it's anything where you're kind of following a user flow as opposed to the functionality of a given component. So if and that that can be multi-page, that can be one page, that could be one specific interaction. Um, but at any time where the user is taking multiple steps, so going back to that like calendar component, uh, on a unit test, I might test that they can select the date for today or whatever event they're, they're planning. But I write it into end test, uh, can they actually put a new calendar event on that calendar? That would be an mm -hmm. example of uh, kind of the differences uh, in end-to-end -end versus kind of your traditional unit or lower level testing. So what are the assertions that that end-to-end -end test with the calendar might make? Yeah. Um, so with Laravel Dusk, I might do something where uh, I spin up, spin up the page and the, the environment that I'd be expecting to see, and then assert that the calendar component is on the page, so it's there, that I can interact with it. Then uh, that I can specifically target uh, the element that I'd be expecting, so the, the add date or I create an event button. So I click on that. Uh, that might spin up a form. So wait for the form to be there. Then I can use Dust to fill in all the information. So that, that makes it really easy. And there are certain helpers and tools where you can really speed up that workflow and, and make it uh, repeatable across many end-to-end -end tests. So I fill out that form, then hit submit, and then wait for the uh, page to re-render. Uh, so if I'm making like an Ajax color database, uh, wait for that to finish, and then assert that that new date is or event is on the calendar. And then I can also go ahead and assert in my database that that event was created uh, as I'd expect there as well. Mm. So that's okay. kind of a, a bigger flow. So then it's kind of, it's kind of automating the stuff that like a, someone in QA, or if you don't have a QA team, what you, know, you as the mm -hmm. developer might do and you just like launch your browser and then click around to make sure that it actually works. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it's great. And Divya, did you uh, did you have more questions that you wanted to go into after this? I, I or I'll save some more, but I don't want to monopolize it. Oh, that's okay. No, I was just curious. Like, I mean, this is not necessarily this is not um, about end-to-end -end tests, but it's a bit. It, I mean, it's it's in the testing sphere. Um, have you done any A/B testing on applications? And like, what have you used for? Like, what tools have you used for that? Oh, I, I want to. I want to defer that because I want to talk more about end-to-end -end um, testing. Then. I thought you had okay, end-to-end -end No. <laughs> okay, fine. I will defer it. Cancel. No, 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 no. Defer, not cancel. Okay. I, I want to talk about it later. Cancel and reschedule. <laughs> Continue. Um, I don't. I don't have any questions on end-to-end -end testing at the moment. Um. Oh wait, actually, so. Um, for end-to-end -end testing, have you ever used a tool that does checks for specific render differences? 
So for example, um, I've used Wraith, which came out of, I don't know, The Guardian, maybe? Uh, which basically does a test of the, the actual full page because it does a snapshot and then it, it compares that snapshot with the new snapshot or like the new one with the old one. And then it diffs the two using image diffing. And then if there is significant differences, it lets you know. Because like, for example, if a button is supposed to appear on a page and doesn't, you'll be notified of that. Because like, if you were to write just a regular end-to-end test, there's no way of figuring that piece out. Because mm-hmm. most end-to-end tests don't actually do rendering of like how a page looks. Don't, mm-hmm. do, don't do the snapshot tests where it yes. takes a picture and then compares the pixels? Correct. <laughs> this one should be blue. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I've done that before uh, for like a app, a website that I worked on with a team at a different job. It was extremely granular and there were a lot of times when those tests would break because uh, writing that test was a nightmare. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, if, Nick, if you could mm-hmm. speak to like, have you yeah. dealt with that before? Or? So I have, I've never written those kind of tests, sadly. So I don't have too much of a perspective on it, okay. but, uh, I have heard of it and I know, uh, big teams are doing it. I think the, uh, the, I think I was listening to a podcast and the GitHub team does that, uh, or it's working towards that. Uh, so I know it's a, it's a, a an upcoming up and coming skill and uh, way to do testing. Uh, and something that I've I've kind of started like sniffing around for, but I haven't really gotten a chance to put into practice and and do it. But I think uh, if you're like a front end developer and you're making a lot of CSS changes and you want to ensure that mm-hmm. like your your application looks the way it should be looking, like that like I, I, that always like sort of gets me excited as like a designer. Mm-hmm. Like man, the thing I I've spent so much time designing might I can make sure that it's looking the way I'm expecting it to look. So I always get excited when I when I hear about it, but no, I haven't I haven't had a chance yet to to write tests like that. Okay, and I, I know a lot of developers don't like end to end tests. Uh, <laughs> could you talk about some of the reasons that some developers might not like end to end tests? Sure, I could I, I could talk about me personally. I can't speak for everyone out there. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you personally, I, right? But um, and our representative from Earth. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I kind of touched on this a little bit. For me, I really hated getting set up with them. Uh, and I think that's a, a bigger issue with testing in general. It's a pain to, in a lot of cases to really sit down, get your whole testing set up and your, your build process and a database if you need it hooked up. Um, and so that whole sort of overhead just to start getting down to the nitty gritty before you're actually even doing something like valuable and actually writing a test uh, for a long time kept me me away from testing and uh, specifically end-to-end testing because you do have to spin up sort of some sort of browser instance where you're clicking through and, and doing all these uh, inter- interactions. Um, so for me, that was something I really dreaded about the process and, and didn't like uh, doing. And then uh, I do find that end-to-end tests are a little more brittle. They're not quite um, like a unit test brittle, but they're not like a, like a state flexible or, or as, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, basically long-lived. I, I found, I found like you can do some subtle things or you can rename a class that you were kind of hooking into with your end-to-end testing and all of a sudden the whole test suite starts failing because um, just because you change a button or, or move something around. So uh, that for me can get frustrating. Okay. And actually last week uh, we had Gleb Bamutov on talking about Cypress, end-to-end tests with Cypress. Mm-hmm. So for people who are really interested in, in diving into 
end-to-end -end tests. I, I highly recommend uh, listening to that episode. It was very good. They're doing great work there at Cyprus. And one of the things we talked about was some anti-patterns, uh, you know, what to do and what not to do and, and how to make tests a little bit more stable. Because it, it really is easy to make tests that intermittently fail. And with most end-to-end -end test frameworks, I've also encountered issues where there are timeout problems, where a test will pass 60% of the time, <laughs> which is so frustrating because then you just end up rewriting your test a bunch of times because you don't believe that when it failed, it failed yeah, because yeah. something is actually wrong. And people just start ignoring it. It's like, oh yeah, the test failed, but it's probably okay, merge. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that. Yeah, yeah. And then once you start doing that, the tests are useless. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the reasons that I really like Cypress is it, it makes writing stable tests a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've definitely, I've run into that before myself. Uh, a nice thing about Laravel Dusk is they have this kind of like wait for uh, method that you can use. This is, this is getting real nitty gritty into the details, but they'll, it'll, it'll wait a set uh, timeout for something to appear on the page for you before it goes through the rest of the test suite. So you can, you can have a wait for a given component or selector. I found like just having that one little uh, piece of functionality has saved me hours of just pulling my hair out, doing exactly what you were talking about, waiting yeah. and rewriting tests over and over again. So going along what you were talking about previously in terms of strategies for unit tests, do you have uh, like a strategy or a workflow that you personally go through when you figure out how to go about writing your end-to-end -end tests? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's very similar to my, uh, my unit testing strategy where if, if I'm going to be frustrated that this flow broke and, this, and, and now I'm, I've, I've kind of, the, the difference here is that I've expanded the context and if I'm, I'm really on the lookout for things that I've personally had to test a lot in the browser. So if I'm building a component and I've, I've done this one flow like 10 or 20 times just to make sure it works and there's all these different sort of permutations. Um, so like going to like our calendar, if I have like a repeatable event and I need to show up 10 times or uh, if I then delete it or I reschedule it or I add people to the event, like you can get all these permutations from this one small uh, interactive uh, place. And that's where I'll kind of say like, okay, this is something that I don't want to have to keep running through myself. So I'll write an end-to-end -end test for that to make sure that uh, I, A, I save myself some time, but B, I don't get frustrated in, in two weeks or two months when, when the whole thing starts breaking on me. Um, so that's, that's kind of my, my bigger picture strategy. The other thing that uh, I look for, especially with these end-to-end -end tests is uh, what is like a mission critical user flow? Like mm -hmm. coming to the the page, hitting our billing page, and then being having like a successful um, submission there. That's something that's super important. Yeah, uh, it's important that they can give you money. Right. Exactly. You always you always <laughs> that's, for that. that's the one feature. That's the one feature <laughs> where if your customers can't give you money, you you might not have a business for very much longer. Right. And that uh, you don't edit that it's secure too. You're mm -hmm. not saving their passwords in plain text. Right. Um, so I don't, so I don't know if an end-to-end -end test can save you from that, but <laughs> no, but it is worth mentioning. <laughs> it is worth mentioning. Hopefully, hopefully there aren't too many people who are listening. Now and it's like, oh, I shouldn't be doing that. 
It's funny because, um, so apparently there was like a Twitter exchange. This is completely off topic, but there was, uh, I think it was T-Mobile or one of like a giant telecoms company in Austria admitted to saving plain text passwords of users on their databases. And the customer service rep was like, there's no problem with that. This is totally fine. There is is probably someone at a bank somewhere uh, who's who's taking a mental note now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's probably my bank. (laughs) Uh. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then you wanted to talk, Divya, a little bit more about A-B testing, which is uh, sort of a different kind of testing. It is. It's a little different. But we can talk about it. I mean, yeah, it's it's it has the word test in it. It it passes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It passes the regex test. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so, like A B A B testing is kind of outside of all of like the dev testing because it's testing in production pretty much. Um, so, like the other tools that you use, because I've done A B testing using Google Analytics and just like manually parse through things and figure out what worked and what didn't work. Um, but do you have like strategies or tools that you use specifically for A-B testing? Or have you A-B tested? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so definitely done a little A-B testing. I've, I've definitely gone the Google Analytics route where I've wired up a bunch of Google events and I'm kind of using some unique identifiers to see the different paths and, and who's going where. Um, we've really, this is something we kind of butt heads about at work a lot because we haven't found that magic solution that that works. Either there's something off the shelf that, does some of what we want to do, but it's never a full big, like a full enough test uh, where we can really get into the data or, um, and so that's been our, our, our real big problem, at least, at least currently is we haven't been able to kind of go find one tool or, or one uh, library or, or, or helper where we can just kind of plug it into our project and then have magically have AB testing. Uh, mm-hmm. We're kind of, we're probably a special case because our app's kind of uh, unique, but uh, so we haven't been able to do that. So a lot of our A-B testing kind of comes down to us manually uh, splitting the user flow and then having uh, trackers and, and data being collected and stored on, on a user object and related to the user object, and then going and looking at it that way. And it's very manual, very time intensive, uh, and it, it makes us, we're, we're kind of data junkies, so we're going to keep doing it, but I could definitely see it discouraging other people from saying like, all right, we're just not going to A-B test this. We're going to skip that. And hopefully this, this code works or this text works, whatever uh, we want to be testing. So I've, I've been exposed to it on the Google Analytics side and I've, I've done a lot of it very nitty gritty manually. Um, And I, I just, it's been incredibly useful, the results that we get. Yeah. So I think the, the effort is worth the, the pay. Payoff, but I, I haven't at least personally found that sort of oh this is the holy grail of A/B testing. This is what I, I need to be doing every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and depending on the backend, the way that those are integrated can can often be very different. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Since you want to ensure that the same user is seeing the same like version of the test every time, right? <laughs> Rather than just every time they refresh, like they, they get a, a different different version of the app. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. Yeah. So I guess similar to that, um, have you done any like cross-browser compatibility testing? Um, and can you speak more to that process? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's not automated for us, uh, but we do have a browser stack subscription. Okay. So every time we do a new component or a new interface, we'll throw it in browser stack, make sure it's uh, looking good and in the right environment. So if you're not familiar with browser stack, basically they uh, knew of sort of, I think, a virtual instance of, 
either Windows or Mac or whatever operating system you're interested in. Uh, they do all the iPhones and Android phones you, you could want. And then you can pull up whatever browser you want in that environment and look at your app and make sure it's working as expected. Um, so that's a much more manual process. Mm -hmm. And because it's more manual, we probably don't do it as often as we should. Um, so that's something that uh, we're probably in the medium term going to look to automate. Uh, and then I can come back on and tell you all about it. But <laughs> in the meantime, uh, yeah, it's a very, a very manual process for us right now. Yeah, I, I use Browser Stack before and I love it because mm -hmm. it, it's like it allows you to give the because you can see your app in different formats and different browsers and mm -hmm. then like log bugs that way. Fixing bugs are, is always a pain using Browser Stack. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I've also gone the route of using Ghost Lab, which is the you can basically remote or control like your app from different devices. The Ghost Lab, I think, requires you to have physical devices on mm. hand. So you would have to have like a device wall where you have like a bunch of Android phones and iOS phones and so on. Uh, but you can remote into all of those and then like view your application as like an, a one single entity. So you could see like all the pages scrolling at the same time. And it, like in a sense, it, it seems really cool. It's still very manual uh, because you, even though it's like a really neat like... Thing to show off as a demo you still have to like go individually <laughs> into each each phone and like see that everything works as, as expected mm -hmm. so yeah uh, automating it that process would be awesome mm -hmm. it probably ties into the uh the snapshotting from before if you could definitely. automate it and then do the snapshots on top of it then you'd, you'd probably feel pretty secure at that point oh yeah definitely it's just mm -hmm. figuring out how to get to that point <laughs> it's a leap yeah. <laughs> using using selenium you can you can run the your end-to-end -end tests in different browsers. Mm -hmm. And in Cypress, uh, currently they just have uh, Chrome and Electron that you can test things in right now. Uh, but Firefox is coming soon, and then I think also Safari. But no, no IE though? No IE on the horizon? Well, I, I, I don't know. I, I, don't work at, oh, okay. I don't work at Cypress. I thought you had I'm the just, inside scoop. <laughs> I'm just a fan. Yeah. I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to remember the, the details, which may not be accurate, and I apologize if they're not. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So is there, is there anything else that you have, Divya? I think I have all my questions answered. Yeah, I think this is, this is like pretty comprehensive. Nick, do you think we missed anything? Do we not um, ask you enough? No, I think, you're geeked about that you want to no, talk about? I, I'm trying to think here. I think we got uh, mostly anything. The one, thing I, the one thing I will say is if you're, if you're getting started, you've never done tests before, uh, and it looks like a big, scary world out there, don't worry about it. Just go in and try and figure out how to write a test for something that you're afraid is going to break. And that can be your first test. And it, don't worry about learning all the terms just yet or uh, figuring out everything we just talked about. Just kind of go in and, and how do I prevent this or how do I get notified that this is breaking in the future uh, is, is sort of the mindset that I would encourage. Uh, and it, it, if, you need to, if you need to fall back and, and you feel like you're getting stuck, hit me up on Twitter. Uh, I'm Nick J. Basile. Um, and I'm, I'll be happy to help you kind of get through it as well. Because I knew when I was starting, it was a big, scary world. And I didn't start for a long time because of that. Uh, but once you're here, it's, it's really nice and it does give you a lot more confidence in your code base uh, and in the work you're doing. So for, if you're getting started, that's, that's my plug for you. That's awesome. I think um, I've worked with a lot, uh, a lot of newer developers in the past 
and even now. And I find that testing actually is something that strengthens their confidence a lot because you you do the whole like red light, green light process. And because especially if you're working at a unit test level, you're building things in small chunks. And so there's like success, there's like little successes and little wins as you're creating the app rather than trying to build everything as a whole and then not being sure what's happening. And so I found like when I use that approach of being like, okay, this app seems really scary, but like, let's start small and then let's write tests for it. It also like things click a lot and like people gain a lot of confidence. And then that kind of creates more motivation to like keep coding and keep learning new things, which I think is amazing. And I, I will also say uh, a little bit of, it's not quite self-promotion because I, I made the tool because I, I think it's very useful. But if you want to check out an example of unit tests and end-to-end tests in a view application and start playing around with them, I highly recommend View Enterprise Boilerplate, which I developed and talked about a, a few weeks back on the podcast. And you can find that on GitHub at github slash github.com slash Fritz slash view hyphen enterprise hyphen boilerplate. That's it. Okay. I love it. We all, we all ended with calls to action. That's beautiful. <laughs> Yay. Okay. So now let's, I, I think we're ready to move on to picks. For you, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at lootcrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. So first, I, I'm going to talk about... Uh, the Babaverse book series. Uh, this is a, a, a sci-fi series, and it's about a guy who dies and then is turned into a von Neumann probe, which, by the way, is uh, a probe with an artificial intelligence that is like launched into space to explore the universe, and it goes places and. Uh, takes the resources from those places and then makes more of itself so that with relatively few resources from Earth, we can use the resources of the universe to explore the universe. So it's a cool idea. Uh, We don't have anything like this yet, but based on this idea, uh, we, uh, the, the Bobaverse series begins with this guy named Bob who's in the probe and he can make more copies of himself. And galactic hijinks ensue and it's a little bit silly but it's it's quite a bit of fun and also some interesting ideas in there i don't like relationships so much in books i don't like the relationship so much but yeah divi doesn't like relationships either no. <laughs> yep I hate, I hate people yeah <laughs> i really don't i like people but uh, i just don't like reading about their relationships i guess <laughs> and then another pick that i have is um, 
gosh, what is this YouTube channel called? There's a YouTube, the Marble Olympics. The Marble Olympics? Yes, the Marble Olympics. You can, you can go on and watch Olympics compete in a bunch of different events. I think it's from like Jelly Bean, a Marble World or something like that. But search for Marble Olympics on YouTube and it's fantastic. It's just a bunch of marbles competing against each other in events. It's like the regular Olympics, if you, if you miss that, except none of the human drama. Okay. So it's like, it's like the Olympics without relationships. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's, it's wonderful. It sounds, sounds, sounds riveting. Well, <laughs> and those are my picks today. I only have two today, but you don't have to have two. You can have more than two. Cool. I'll go next. Um, so my pick is Sarah Dresner's post that she published today. I took a glance at it. I've talked to her about it and it's fantastic. It essentially goes over the difference between methods, computers, and watchers because there's a lot of confusion over, especially if you're learning view or even if you're a veteran view users, there's sometimes there's a lot of confusion over whether to use a computer or a watcher or a method. Um, and the doc kind of give reference to this, but Sarah goes into detail on like use cases and how exactly to use one versus another, which I think is absolutely wonderful. Because it and even comes you, to, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, and I think you said this, but it's on CSS tricks, right? Yes, it's on CSS tricks. Sorry, I should have mentioned that. It's oh, on I think, CSS I think tricks. You, you might have. I didn't. Just wanted to make sure. <laughs> I think I didn't. Um, and then my second pick is uh, not a book. It is a granola that I absolutely love by Rick Bayless. It's his Mexican mixed granola, which you can buy on Amazon. And it's, it's pretty wonderful. Um, Rick Bayless is a very well-known Mexican. He's, he's, he's like Caucasian, but he cooks Mexican food very well. And he's very well-known in Chicago and has a couple of restaurants. Um, and his granola is just absolutely delightful. It's like my platonic ideal of granola. I don't know how I feel about buying my granola online by a guy named Rick. It's really good. I have this guy named Rick. He makes the best granola. You can order it online. Yeah, it's great. He also makes, uh, he also has like various, because um, Frontera is a Mexican restaurant uh, that he runs. And it also has like taco seasoning and chili starters and like various other things. So Will it, you have this for breakfast? Is this a granola you have for breakfast? Yeah. I do. It's 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 really like stupid expensive. Uh, granola. It's one of like my bougie indul indulgences, but it's it's very very good. It like when I have this granola, I feel like my day is much better, or I feel happier in general. Oh wow! It's like eating cake for breakfast. It's like the adult equivalent, the more boring equivalent. But yeah. Okay. No, that sounds really cool. <laughs> is that it? Yes, that is all. Okay, Nick, what are your picks? All right, I've got a, I've got a couple here. So um, the first one I have is, uh, I don't know if you all have seen this on Twitter, but Steve Shoger and Adam Wathen are um, doing a little series called Refactoring UI. Uh, and it's, it's primarily focused on uh, design and how do you take uh, an existing design and refactor it to a better design and iterate on it. Uh, and they just do fantastic work. And it's funny, uh, Steve will typically design it and then Adam and Steve might have a discussion on it. And then Adam will take it and put it in a code pen somewhere. So you can kind of see the full life cycle of what it takes to redo a design, 
kind of some higher level discussion and then what it looks like in code. Mm -hmm. And I have just been head over heels in love with what all the work they're doing. It's been phenomenal. Uh, So that's one pick. Uh, A more fun pick is on Netflix. I just finished uh, Toast of London, which I don't know if you guys have seen. Uh, It is a pretty esoteric, raunchy British comedy. And it just is hilarious. Knocks my socks off every time. It's it's very random and weird and silly and funny. Uh, And so I just laugh the whole way through. Um, So that's one pick. And then uh, Alex and Rolf uh, in the View community over at View School. uh, This is kind of a little little plug, a little self-promotion. I'm working with them to do their View Fundamentals course, which is coming out soon. Um, So keep your eyes peeled on Twitter uh, for that. And then if, yeah, if you ever want to follow me, I blog once a week on View, Laravel, and Tailwind at uh, nick-basile.com. And so come on down and you can sign up for the newsletter and we'll, we'll have a great time. Oh, I didn't know you geeked about Tailwind too. Oh, good time. I'm also pretty into Tailwind right now. Love, love Tailwind. <laughs> we'll have to talk about that some other time. Sure, sure, sure. All right. So that's it for this episode of Views on View. Thank you everyone for joining us and we'll see you next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.